Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I am a mildly congested Greta Johnson. I would have stayed in bed today, but I was just so excited about who our guests are today. We have Linda Holmes. Linda, you are NPR's must-hear podcast host. Your show is called Pop Culture Happy Hour, and we are so happy to have you here. Welcome, Linda. Oh, thank you so much. And Jim, you host a little show called Sound Opinions. Will you tell us about it? I do. It's always fun when it airs on BEZ and you get to announce it because you're working on Saturday. Totally. It's the world's only rock and roll talk show. Oh, it's the war- I thought it was America's only rock and roll talk show. No, no. Well, yeah, I mean, that <laughs> the comes universes. from the Rolling Stones being the world's only rock and roll band. I mean, there might be others, but we're the only one that matters. In our, you know, rock and roll boasting opinion, it's it's all in good nature. So, Linda, watching TV is sort of your job, essentially, as you are the pop culture happy hour host. But, Jim, I wonder, you know, you're more, you're the music guy. How much yes. TV do you watch? I watch quite a bit because my wife is the movie and television editor at the Tribune. So uh, she's always getting those wonderful uh, links to screeners and we can be four or five weeks ahead in a series. And it's nice to have something in your life that doesn't involve music. So, you know, to decompress. And, and this is a golden age of television. I teach criticism at Columbia College. You guys know that. And, and I mean, right now, the merger of what used to be film and what used to be television and the possibilities of where it's going, people are making novels in the form of six and eight episode seasons on television, uh, you know, you have people like Scorsese saying that. A movie for me is now a short story, totally. but Boardwalk Empire was my novel. So what we are hoping that you can do for our Nerdette listeners, Jim and Linda, is to join Greta and I in laying out the show that we love the most, that we feel is the most underappreciated, and also talk about the show we're most excited about that's starting this fall. So I will start with the show that I feel is too underappreciated. And I have to say, I think this works really well with the idea of like the indignant nerd too, right? Because it's like, you guys, this is so great. Like, why isn't anyone watching this? That's what you you guys do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you do it so well. <laughs> so my pick is The Night Of, which I think, Jim, goes really well with what you were just talking about, the idea yeah. of this being like a little novella, a short story on itself. The Night Of is an HBO miniseries. It was only eight episodes. There's a possibility of another season coming, but the idea is that it was designed as a standalone piece. It was so good. And I think those are so strong. You know, it's often when you get into like the fourth or fifth season of a thing mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, this is off the rails. And when you have eight perfect episodes. It's just so great to watch that. I do recommend it as a binge. It started right after Game of Thrones, which I think was part of what made it maybe not as viewed as, say, something like Game of Thrones. But the premise is an American Muslim college student is accused of murdering a rich young white woman. And let's take a listen to a clip from the trailer. You have fear for your life? Should I be? Do you have a motive for the killing? I didn't kill her. Does he have a history of violent crimes? This is a good kid. It's homicide. There's no way around it. Who wants to see you? Who? 
So I gotta say, they played this trailer before Game of Thrones many a time, and I was like, this show looks terrible, <laughs> which is probably maybe why not a lot of people watched it. Linda, what did you think of the trailer, like, before you actually saw it? I saw the trailer quite a while ago. I will confess, I have not been a night of uh, oh, viewer, really? so See? I am on your list of people who are not watching it enough. So the trailer didn't grab you then? Well, I've seen the first uh, episode. Okay. And it's one of those things that's on my list of things that I need to watch at some point. But it came up at a time when I had a bunch of other stuff going on. And it takes me a long time to get around to things that look like they're (laughs) going to be really dark and violent and depressing because there's a lot of that on television. It takes me a long time to get to those. That is fair. Yeah, this is super tense. I mean, even the first episode is sort of like laying out what leads up to this burner. And it is so grim and difficult to watch. But I think it is an excellent show. I mean, there are also some like sort of weirdly lighthearted moments. Trisha, you have a really great way of describing this show. Oh, that it's the only television show I've ever watched where the B story is eczema. (laughs) Yes, it leaves. I was going to say that. I was waiting to make that joke. It leaves you itchy. (laughs) John Turturro has a severe case of eczema, and it becomes sort of the B storyline. It's his relationship with this cat he's allergic to, and it's the way that they really humanize and make this character, who's sort of a ambulance chaser lawyer, seem really sort of lovely because he sort of can't not take in this stray cat, even though it's making him miserable. So yeah, The Night Of on HBO, I, I think it's better for a binge, too, just because it is a little slower paced. So if you can watch, you know, a bunch of them at once, I guarantee you're going to love it. Linda, what is your recommendation? So my recommendation is not quite as serious as The Night Of. What I brought you is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on the CW. This is a weird transition. Huh? It is a little bit of a weird transition. <laughs> Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a show that, like a lot of shows, started off running a little bit of a debt in the sense that a lot of people had to get over the title, which sounds like a grotesque, sexist stereotype. Uh-huh. Um, it's not. It is essentially about a woman who is very unhappy in her life and she learns that her ex-boyfriend, not an ex-adult kind of boyfriend, but an ex-boyfriend from when she was at camp when she was a teenager, is living in a city in California called uh, West Covina. And so she takes off to go live in West Covina because she's unhappy. Not really because of, I mean, it's because of him, but really it's because she's unhappy. And it's about how she kind of tries to start her life over. And one of the things that makes it really unusual is it's a musical, which you don't see a lot of musical comedy series on TV these days. Not enough, I say. (laughs) Exactly. So it is a straight up musical comedy series. So there are a bunch of wonderful things that I really love about it, but it actually turned out to be a very interesting examination of how she's affected by anxiety and depression. It presents a very diverse picture of her community in California, which is unusual for television. It has there are a ton of things about it that I think are just really wonderful and charming. And there are moments where you truly don't know where they're going with some of the kind of love triangle stuff that they set up, which with a show like this, if they can pull off genuine a genuine sense that you don't know what their end game is, that's an accomplishment. Absolutely. It's very fun. Let's take a listen to a little bit of one of the songs from the show. This is Settle For Me. Settle for me, darling, just settle for me. I think you'll have to agree We make quite a pair I know I'm only second place in this game But like 2% milk 
or seitan beef. I almost taste the same. So won't you settle for me? Right. So that is that turns into a kind of a full fledged Fred and Ginger send up <laughs> with the dancing, and it goes. You know, you you get the dance number, you get everything. It's a really faithful kind of pastiche number. And yet it's also really sad and fundamentally very poignant because he means this. He means the the guy who in this case is not the ex-boyfriend, but kind of the other guy she gets to know. He means this. He means I know that you're not that into me, but maybe I could be your boyfriend anyway. Settle for me, man. That's intense. Linda, this is great because I actually have not seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriends, so we both owe each other a little bit of homework here. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Mine will make you happier than I think yours will make me. I think that is very true. Although I think Jim might prefer The Dark the Night of to a musical, but we'll see. My my reaction is like Tuturo's with the nonstop scratching whenever I hear (laughs) musical theater. itchy from hearing the, the musical theater. Yeah. So my pick for the show that I want more people to be watching is Difficult People. This is on Hulu. It's from Julie Klausner and co-stars her and Billy Eichner of Billy on the Street. And folks might remember him from Parks and Rec. (laughs) They are playing sort of slightly fictionalized versions of themselves. So they each have their own first names and fake last names. They're 30-somethings trying to make it in the entertainment business in New York City. The show is smart. It is funny. It's executive produced by Amy Poehler. So, of course, it's funny. One of the things that you can count on from difficult people is crazy cameos. So Tina Fey plays herself in the season to premiere. You've got Amy Sedaris playing a character. You've got Method Man at one point trying to help skyrocket the careers of Julie and Billy. It's just all kinds of nonsense and really fun. One of the things that I find most refreshing about the show, honestly, is that a lot of the things that I even enjoy as TV shows right now that call themselves half-hour comedies, that put themselves in the awards category of half-hour comedy, aren't really writing jokes anymore. I kind of Mm. miss the Parks and Rec 30 Rock style show that actually tells jokes, whether it's physical comedy or just really quippy one-liners. This show has that in spades. It had a cameo this season from one of my favorite humans on the planet. So let's take a (laughs) listen to this. Lin-Manuel Miranda endorsed our show. His quote is right there on the flyer. Who is Lin-Manuel Miranda? We want to see Hamilton. Ugh, these mutants. I'll go get us some bubble gum. Where'd you get that Lin-Manuel quote? I made it up. Hello? Who said I said this show was better than mine? Lin-Manuel Miranda? Yeah, I know who I am. Who the f*** are you? I'm Billy. Hey, can Julie and I have tickets to Hamilton? No! (laughs) I think that's the crabbiest I've ever heard Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's just acting, guys. Don't worry. He would never be so... (laughs) upset with people in person. So that's Julie and Billy are trying to put a show on in the Fringe Festival. Originally, it's going to be a show about Taylor Swift, and then they get a cease and desist, so they decide to make a Carter musical because the Hamilton musical is so popular. And then Lin-Manuel Miranda is not pleased to find out that on the flyer to try to get people to their Fringe show, they have just made up a quote from him about how great their show is. So it's really fun because it's this farcical look at what it is to be sort of struggling in New York City, but then they actually have the people who they're talking about playing themselves often on the show. I just think it's really fun. Jim, have you seen this one? No. Carmel watches it, and it's on in the background when I'm working. Your wife? Yes, my wife, who is the TV editor of the Tribune. She loves it. Very nice. What about you, Linda? I watched some of the first season. I'm not caught up on it. I've watched some of it. I like them. I think they're very funny. Again, it's in that category of, like, I'm behind. Yeah, totally. But I, I, do, I do enjoy it. It's yeah. impossible to see everything. There's so much good stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And yet Mike and Molly is still on the air. <laughs> How can this be? Oh. 
Just so you know, Mike and Molly ended this spring. Oh, okay. Damn. I mean, well, <laughs> thanks, Linda. <laughs> but it still seems to be on whenever I'm channel surfing. It's on 43 times a, a night. So the first two seasons of Difficult People are on Hulu. You can binge watch them whenever you want. It's pretty fun. They also, I must say, throw a lot of shade at public media because Julie's boyfriend in the show works for PBS. So yes. there's a lot of PBS versus NPR basketball games that are really awkward <laughs> to watch, things of that nature. <laughs> But anyway, Jim, what is your pick for a show more people should be watching? Well, you know, on my show, I have to maintain my rock critic cool. You know what I sure. mean? So if I was doing that, I'd be talking about The Fall or True Detective or The Night Of or Fargo. I watched all three international versions of The Bridge. The Nordic, <laughs> the British French, and the American, short-lived. I love female autistic detectives, right? But I'm going to nerd out because this is nerdette, yeah. right? Nobody's watching The Strain, and people should. <laughs> it's on FX. It's got an incredible pedigree. Chuck Hogan's huge in the comic world. Uh, he's the writer. Guillermo del Toro. He's the uh, the Mexican gothic horror genius of Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone. You know, the nice thing about this show, it's an awful show. I have to press for the, the writing <laughs> okay, is wooden. I'm glad you're owning up to you that. You know, the, the plot is, is absurd. It is so far <laughs> over the top. Even the special effects. We're talking like six notches below Walking Dead, which I also <laughs> love, right? Um, but but it, it, there's not a single pop culture horror apocalyptic sci-fi trope that is not in this show. I mean, you've got zombie-like vampires that are kind of monstrous, you know, spawn of Satan. I mean, you, you name a, a neat monster thing, and they've, they've all got it together, right? There's a 150-year-old Nazi, yeah. and there's a 150-year-old Jewish Nazi hunter. You know, there's a, a, a bisexual punk rock hacker who's cooler than the character on, on Halt and Catch Fire, right? You know, there, there's a genius superstar scientist going to save the world. There's a giant, I mean, he's like seven foot tall, Russian exterminator who <laughs> switches from exterminating rats, every rat in Manhattan, to vampire, he you know, zombies. Vermin. Right. You know, it, 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 it's absurd <laughs> and it's meant to be absurd. And in its absurdity, I, I think it's the best post-apocalyptic show on TV right now. And TV's lousy. <laughs> Linda could, could testify, right? How many apocalypse shows are there right now? There's a million. There's, There's a million. Million and five, I think. You know, far more than musical comedies. <laughs> that is true. More musical comedies, fewer apocalypses. Yeah, but it's it's a very silly show in a comic book way. It's got the old guy who plays Walder Frey in Game of Thrones and Filch from Harry Potter as one of the protagonists. He's got a yeah. crazy silver sword. Yeah, and, and the dude who, who was Hemingway in Midnight in Paris. I oh, think yeah. it sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but in a really good popcorn way. Yeah, I never I never watched any of this because the promo art for it had a person with a worm coming out of his eye. Yeah, yeah there's worms. I forgot the worms. Which to me was like an entire dinner banquet of nope. For me, when I saw the worm coming out of the eyeball, it was like, it's you, you have, I am the target demographic for the opposite of this. Well, this is, this is for 13 year old boys. There's no doubt about it, yeah. you know, and it, and it triggers that part of me that remains. And I think it fills a little the void of True Blood and some of these other shows that have wrapped up in the last few years where it's yeah. that sort of super high stakes, every single episode, we might all die kind of show. Yeah, and, and you know, True Blood had the like the bodice ripper kind of thing happening, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, I watched True Blood. True Blood was yeah, not attractive that I vampires. Was, I was dead. No. I really like True Blood, and Carmel, my wife, had to like leave the room. She got so fed up <laughs> with who was sleeping with who and who was fanging who, and you know, 
munchers. They call the the, the monsters munchers. <laughs> Not even walkers, right? Everything about this show, but I think it's intentionally uncool. And the thing is that it looks great because it's Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Give it up for Guillermo, right? You know, I mean, he's cool. And Manhattan is being destroyed. Now, as someone who grew up in Jersey City, just across the Hudson River from Manhattan, right? I just love a good end of the world in Manhattan. I will watch The Day After Tomorrow every time it's on cable, which is like four <laughs> times a week, just because I love to see all of New York destroyed except for the New York Public Library. <laughs> all right. Well, those are our picks. We have one from a listener who answered the call that Nerdette put out earlier this week. And so here's the two shows that they are most excited about that they feel maybe no one is watching but them. Hi, Nerdette. This is Kasha calling from New York City. I saw your tweet asking about TV shows that no one else seems to be watching, and I have two. I don't know anyone else who are watching these shows. The first one is Vikings. It's a history drama from the History Channel, but it's actually good. It's not like a recreation kind of show. It's got sex and history, and it's historically accurate because it's made by Michael Hurst who did Elizabeth, and I'm such a big fan of this work, and I love this TV show. The second one is Halt and Catch Fire, which is an early 1980s computer, personal computer drama about the rise of the personal computer. They're both great TV shows, and I could not recommend them more to people who have no interest in either of these subjects. All right, thanks very much. Bye. Oh, my God, that phrase, sex and history, just makes me really happy. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. Like two words you don't hear paired together often enough. Not, not you. Yeah, well, Downton Abbey, but that's about I it. I guess. Right? Are you guys watching Vikings? I have not watched Vikings. I love Holt and Catch Fire. It's yeah. fantastic. What about yeah, you? I, yeah, I'm not a Vikings person. Holt and Catch Fire is one where I didn't watch the first season and everyone said it was bad. So then I thought that was fine. But then I didn't watch the second season and everyone said it suddenly got good. So then I felt like I was supposed to catch up on it, but by then I was watching a bunch of other stuff. That's what happened I don't know. to me. I watched the first couple of episodes of Halt and Catch yeah. Fire, and I thought it was fine, but I just didn't stick with it. And now, yeah, now I can't turn around on the internet without somebody telling me it's awesome. This is making me sound like I don't watch a lot of television. <laughs> Believe me, I watch a lot of television. You're just hitting a lot of my, like, zombie bloody kind of stuff. And then over here is uh, nerd nostalgia, which tends to just be over my head. What I like about Holt and Catch Fire, and I got to say this for you two nerdettes, right, is they are rewriting the history of Silicon Valley because the two women who are, are running the company that you're rooting for the whole are, are two women. All right. And and Silicon Valley in the day was a boys club, right? Still you is. Know, yeah. Still is. It, it's despicable. And the fact that there's two great, strong, female, brilliant characters is wonderful. Linda, I just want to say, I mean, the whole point of this initial segment is things that no one is watching. So I think <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, totally yeah. Fair. Well, right, but as you said, this is my job. So, you know, I don't want to appear that I am not watching a ton of TV because I am. Well, we will get to fall TV predictions in just a minute, Linda. And then I think everything will be made much more clear. We're talking with Linda Holmes and Jim DeRogatis, and we'll be back in just a minute. I never had 
Okay, round two. We are talking fall TV predictions. This is the show that we are most excited to watch. Maybe we've kind of like marked on our calendars like this is the day. I know I have for mine, but we'll get to it in a minute. Trisha, I think you should start us off. What are you most excited to watch this fall? So there's some good TV happening this fall, but I am most excited about Better Things, the new show from Pamela Adlin and Louis C.K. These two have been working together since Lucky Louie, Louis C.K.'s HBO show back in 2007, 2008, where they played husband and wife. And now uh, Pamela Adlon, after being sort of a great companion to him in several shows and doing things like Californication, other shows where she had significant roles, but now she is the star. This is her show. It's about her being a single mom of three daughters and trying to make it in Hollywood as an aging actress. It's funny that we have to say aging when someone's barely middle aged, but Uh that's what we have to do in Hollywood. And here is a little clip just to give you a sense of what Pamela's relationship with her daughters is like. Can I ask you something? Could you get pot for me? What? Like, don't you want me to have clean, organic pot? Honey, these things are normal, but you should be ashamed of them. You're my mom. I want you to know if I have sex or if I want to get high. Ah! No! Hide things from me! Please! Can I kick it? That's Pamela Adlin with one of her daughters in the new show that she has. Louis C.K. directed the first episode and has some editing credits and other credits around the edges of this show. So he's very involved. It's like uh, Baskets with Zach Galifianakis last year was with the FX. So we're seeing Louis not necessarily make a bunch of new episodes of his own show, but he's taking the people who've been in his orbit for a while and convincing FX to give them their own shows and their own platforms. And I just have really liked Pamela Adlin for a long time. So I'm excited to see the show play out. He's also helped develop Tignataro's show, I think, one Mississippi. Yeah, so we're seeing him a lot more behind the scenes lately, but he's making some good stuff coming to the world. Yeah. yeah, that's real nice. I also have to say that trailer is kind of creepy because it reminds me a lot of my weird relationship with my mother. Of course it does. <laughs> Maybe I'll save it for Christmas when I go home and we can watch it together. So Better Things airs Thursdays at 10 p.m. on FX. It's just been renewed for a second season Already. as well. Only a couple episodes in and it's gotten a second season. So I'm excited about that. That bodes yeah, well. It's a good show. Linda, what are you excited about this fall? I chose uh, Insecure, which is the new show from Issa Rae. And Issa Rae is a uh, woman who developed a very popular web series called Awkward Black Girl, which uh, was on YouTube originally. And she has been kind of in this development process with HBO for a really long time. And they are finally, they have finally kind of gotten her show put together and developed. And it's going to be starting October 9th. And it's a half hour comedy essentially following this young woman and her best friend. It's sort of about the two of them. That's kind of the primary emotional relationship in the show is this young woman that Issa Rae plays and her best friend, Molly. And the show is kind of dirty and vulgar in this great way that feels very adventurous for TV <laughs> in this in that same way as Sex in the City was for some people in its willingness to quote unquote kind of go there with certain things. At the same time, it does not do that in a kind of showy way. It's fundamentally about the relationship, but it's also really, really funny and really honest about what I think these young women, the kinds of experiences that they're having and the importance of their friendship and that friendship as their primary emotional frame. For HBO, it is particularly, I think, significant because their history of their shows 
being created by uh, white dudes is long and a little bit painful. Yeah. More consistently on the drama side, more more thoroughly on the drama side, mm-hmm. the comedy side has always been a bit more varied. But anytime that HBO is embracing kind of a young black woman as a creator, that's sort of a step for them. And in this case, it's somebody who has made a really terrific show in the past, a a web series. And I really like what I have seen. I've seen a couple of episodes of Insecure, and I really, really like it. And again, that's going to start October 9th. Yeah, we saw those too, and they are excellent. We actually have a little clip that we can play that I think really helps exemplify what you were talking about of sort of like the the brashness to it that's also just really sweet and lovely. This is from the pilot, and this is Issa in the bathroom, and she's trying to get herself like super amped up for a night out at the club, and she's wearing this like ridiculous sweater dress, and she keeps on trying on these different really wild colors of lipstick that involve oh, yeah. a lot of glitter. So here she is. She's talking to herself in the bathroom mirror. Hi, I'm sexy. Let's get out of here. You're super. Oh my god, you're a music producer. Do you know Beck? I don't make love. I'll f- you want some of this f- pop pie? Pop 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 pop. Well, hello, Daniel. No, you drive on the wrong side of the street. Let me sprinkle some f- parmesan on you. <laughs> awesome. You hungry? Hey, tiger. Mm-hmm. So stupid. Take a drink. You gonna take this naughty or not? Take this naughty! Take it! It's too aggressive. It's a good, it's a good, good pilot. And oh my it's got gosh. a lot of that sort of really, it, it's so much fun. It's so great. My favorite thing about that scene, too, is that by the end, she decides that she's not going to wear any of the lipsticks that she's tried on. And she just, like, goes for the little tub of Carmex. I just think it's right. so perfect. I, I think a double feature, you know, night of, of binging uh, would be going back and forth between Atlanta that new Childish yes, Gambino totally. show and this show. Which mm-hmm. the Atlanta show was also picked up for a second season they just announced wow. too. So it's yeah. done so well with critics just in the first couple of weeks and with audiences that, yeah, it's going to get a second season yeah. as well. Donald Glover's new show, which has his weird sensibility that is in his music and in his other writings, definitely coming through in that show. That's such an interesting show too. That is such an interesting show. Yep. All right. We're all fans of that. <laughs> so Yay. that's the bonus recommendation from everyone is Atlanta. <laughs> that and the strain. And you and the strain. Uh, no, no, no. We're all excited about Insecure on HBO. Still to come, picks for this fall from Greta and Jim. Hey, you know it don't start till one. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita here, as always, with Greta Johnson and our special guest this week, Jim DeRogatis from Sound Opinions and Linda Holmes from NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Okay, Jim, it's your turn. What is the show you're most excited about starting this fall? You know, the, the reason I love talking to Nerdette is because I can be complete nerd. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to be cool. <laughs> Go deep. I'm not going to talk about Shameless or anything. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Longmire. I think I'm the only one in the world, certainly under 70, who enjoys this <laughs> show, right? So a couple of seasons on A&E Network and uh, based on, on these books, which I've never read and have no desire to, by Craig Johnson, <laughs> right? You don't know this. You know, we're here in Chicago, right? Chirac. 500 more murders this year, right? Wyoming 
is the murder capital of the world, apparently. There's more crime in the non-existent county, Absaroka County in Wyoming, than anywhere else. And every week, Sheriff Longmire solves one. Right? <laughs> and they get weirder and weirder, you know. Uh, and so the show died, but whoever it is besides me who likes it petitioned. And, and, and so Netflix has resurrected it. And it comes back, like, actually the end of this week on Netflix. You know, A&E couldn't support it anymore. And, and again, it's kind of silly, right? It's a weird crime solved by this sheriff, and he has some sidekicks. One of them is uh, is uh, Katie Sackhoff, who is you know, oh, Battlestar nice. Galactica. Starbuck. Who, who, you know, is a Philadelphia cop, relocates, I don't know why, to Wyoming. Well, I know why. The mob was after her in Philly, right? <laughs> Obviously. You know, but, but in becoming a member of the Absaroka County uh, Sheriff's Department, they only issued her uniforms that are lacking the top three buttons of, oh, her, of her sheriff shirt on, you know, like every uniform she has, right? <laughs> Maybe I, the Netflix budget will allow for more buttons. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and it's got, I, I think that's the point is less buttons, I think. You know, again, 70-year-old men are liking this show. <laughs> uh, you know, because he's old. He's an old, right? And he, I think he's Australian or British, the actor who plays Walt Longmire, but he does this great Wyoming accent, right? Because all the Brits on TV have the best American accents. Nobody in America talks American, right? But Lou Diamond Phillips. Right, who is only partially Native American, plays a Native American named Henry Standing Bear. And what Lou knows from his heritage, apparently, and also intense method study of Native Americans, is that to speak like a Native American, all you have to do is not use contractions ever. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, Katie, you seen anyone new? Did my dad put you up to this? No, come on. I'm just curious. Promise not to tell my dad? I promise. But why all the secrecy? It's just, well, <clears throat> you know, there's not a lot of guys in Durant. You know, not a very deep bench. So the guy that I'm seeing, he's a little older. How much older? About 120 years. He's a vampire. <laughs> and he's amazing. Okay. Oh, okay. You have made your point. Oh, to dear. speak, you must not contract. And oh, also no. you have to talk in that voice. Oh, dear. Right. Oh, it's, boy. Again, it's really bad, but it's 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 just, it sucks me in. Jim with the weird TV recommendation. <laughs> People like this show. People like this show enough to save it yeah, that's, from, from mean, Netflix. I'm impressed that the seven-year-old men knew how to lobby the internet hard enough yeah, to no get kidding. it onto Netflix. Right, they probably had the 13-year-old grandkids who watched yeah, The Strain go. do it. <laughs> it was a joint effort, I think. I'm, I'm saying something about it because I'm, demographically I'm in the middle of those two. Yep. Yeah. But um, I don't know why. <laughs> you are between piss. 13 and 70. It's I, again, so of, I, I think we all are, right? Is yeah. that fair to well, say? I'm watching a lot of TV because Carmel edits TV coverage, yeah. my wife, right? You know, and, and I, I I wanted to choose two shows that she would never defend, you know. Because <laughs> she's not here to tell you that you well, should yeah, watch and, them. And just for variety sake. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think that's part of the beauty of television right now is that you can find your tribe and find your weird show and have a few people hopefully in real life but maybe just online who you watch it with and talk about it with but I think that you know shows like Atlanta and Better Things and some of the shows we're talking about especially Insecure are yeah. an example of what happens when people open the doors a little wider to people who haven't been let in the room traditionally yeah. or and Stranger Things you know Stranger I mean, Things things that away. people maybe didn't think would have ever made a network pitch are now yeah. seeing really strong loyalty from audiences that are large enough that networks are going to keep taking these chances, we hope. TV's yeah, weird and, again. And, 
But that story about Longmire is actually really interesting to me because people talk a lot about the ability of Netflix and other streaming services to serve smaller niche audiences that have trouble getting enough interest from advertisers. They are usually not envisioning an older audience, but an older audience is one of the demographics that advertisers have a tendency to turn up their noses at a little bit. And so Netflix, because their business model is different, does not have to follow that same idea. They also have such a varied brand. They have really cool shows like Orange is the New Black and stuff like that. But they also are making like Fuller House and they're making stand-up specials and they're making documentaries. And Bloodline. And Bloodline. They do such a variety of stuff that for them to pick up something that people think of as maybe a show that that older people watch does not hurt their brand the same way that it would if it were like HBO or something like that. I think that's a great point. And I think that Greta, your show is also one that has a fervored fan base that maybe doesn't have as many people watching it as would be necessary on a network, but it has got people who will swear by it and I think go to the mattresses for it. Yeah, totally. And, you know, this is one that I actually didn't watch. I've been catching up on it over the summer, so I'm super excited to watch it on a weekly basis when it comes back. I am talking about Jane the Virgin. It's about to start its third season in October. Yes. So this is one of those shows, I don't know about you, Linda, but like, I mean, I have been loving the CW for a long time just because of like the OC and Gossip Girl. Like I've, mm-hmm. you know, every every once in a while they come up with a show. And, you know, you mentioned Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is also CW. Like, it's just so salacious and ama- like it's just all of the perfect things to make just like the most delicious, ridiculous candy of a TV show. Like it's definitely junk food. It's absurd. It's based on the telenovela, but it's super self-aware at the same time. And it's got a really diverse cast. It takes place in Miami. Jane, the main character, her grandmother is originally from Venezuela. The premise when I first heard about it was like, I don't know, you guys, like a a devout Catholic is like accidentally impregnated and decides to keep the child. And like, this is a premise of a show that I want to watch. But like, it is just phenomenal. What keeps you watching it, Linda? Oh, I think for one thing, you have to credit the central performance of Gina Rodriguez, who plays Jane. I think that is one of the best new television performances of the last several years, uh, and I include cable broadcast anywhere, just in terms of what good TV performances are supposed to be like traditionally, which is she's incredibly charismatic, she's engaging, she's sympathetic. They have managed to make that character who, who, as you said, is really definitionally a virgin and a devout Catholic, but she is never a goody-goody or a judgy person. She is a fundamentally, wonderfully decent person. As you said, there is deep, deep diversity in this cast. And one of the ways in which that manifests is it is one of the few shows you are going to find on broadcast TV where people's faith is incredibly important to them, and they talk about it a lot. And it's not a joke. They have a sense of humor about it as they do about everything else, but it brings in faith in a way that is central to the story as it is to a lot of real people's lives and very few television characters' lives. There are so many things that I respect and admire about this show, and then it's just so funny and also has these kind of like crazy performances from Jaime Camille, who plays Rogelio, who's Jane's father, and he's so funny, and that performance is so weird 
in the best way. There are just a ton of things that I love about Jane the Virgin. I, that is one of my favorite shows. I think it was when the second episode of the first season ended, like the very end of that episode, someone died because he like fell off of a balcony and was impaled by an um, ice sculpture of a swordfish. Yep. And that's when I was like, yep. oh, I'm going to love this show. It's, and it's I have so just goofy. been there. It's so ridiculous. So I actually have a clip. Partly what I think is so great about it, too, is there are so many references. Like, you know, you get like your weird Game of Thrones reference or even like this whole damn Daniel thing that was huge on the interwebs for a hot second. Here is a clip with another really great kind of cultural reference. Thank you. Oh, of course. Hey, do you want to know their names? Marfell and I already decided. Elsa. And Anna. <laughs> Elsa and Anna. Like in Frozen? What do you mean? That's the names of the sisters in Frozen. The movie? Oh. <laughs> well, no one except for you would think of that. Let it go, Jane. <laughs> Yeah, that last voice is the narrator, one of my favorite parts of that show. So great. I like it because it sort of reminds me of Ron Howard and Arrested Development. It's just like all of the good, absurd things (laughs) in one TV show. It's so perfect. It's wonderful. It's very silly and also deeply, deeply felt. Yeah, it's all of the good things. That comes back October 17th, which is a Monday, which is so great for my schedule, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's the night Greta can stay up late. That's her Saturday. (laughs) Yes. All right, Jim and Linda, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. Linda, you're on the road a lot right now, right? That's right. Pop Culture Happy Hour is on the road. In the second half of October, we will be doing a West Coast Swing. We still have tickets for our Portland show, which is on October 19th. You can get those at nprpresents.org. And we're also going to be at the Now Hear This Festival, podcast festival in Anaheim. And we will be doing uh, a show there on October 29th. And those are at nowhearthisfest.com. Fantastic. I can't imagine a more wonderful group of nerds to hang out with in a theater for a night than Pop Culture Happy Hour fans. That must be Thank really you fun. So much. They're wonderful. We have wonderful, wonderful fans. It's going to be a great show. Audie Cornish will be with us at that Portland show. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks again, you guys. This was super fun. Nerdette is produced by us, Trisha Bobita, and Greta Johnson. Joe Dassault is our senior producer, and our intrepid intern is Annie Newen. Our executive producer is Mr. Joel, obsessed, like really obsessed with Bojack Horseman. Who knew, right? Joel Meyer. Always nice to meet a fan. No, I'm sorry. I'm not a, uh, I'm an actor. Oh, good for you. It's a dreadful business, but hang in there. No, I already did hang in there. I'm Bojack Horseman. We've actually met before. Oh, I'm sorry. When you're as famous as I am, you meet so many people. Thanks to Ms. Butters for the very kind five-star review on iTunes. She says that Nerdette, I'm assuming she's a she, right? Because she's Ms. Is that fair? Sure. Okay. She says Nerdette is part of a healthy, balanced podcast list, which is a pretty nice thing to say. And someone whose name is Butters probably knows a thing or two about health. Exactly. You know what else is part of a healthy, balanced podcast list? Sound opinions and pop culture happy hour, which you should be listening to in both cases. Just saying. Nerdette is a production of WBEZ in Chicago. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Which in this case, this week is so much television. All the TV, which is great because I'm going back to bed. (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.